Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Good afternoon, folks. Welcome to Yeah Na Pasaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And this week we are joined by Australian academic Dr. Gerard Gill. Thanks for joining us. Adra, just to begin with, could you tell us a little bit about your area of research and how you came to find yourself in it? Back in the heady days of the global financial crash, I decided not to leave university after my master's degree, and I did a PhD looking at how social movements use the internet. And I looked at a group from South Africa called Abilali Basanjondolo, who are kind of campaigning for rights for people who live in informal settlements. And then years, years later, I ended up getting a job doing CVE, kind of looking at the other side of that, which is how some little bit more bad actors could be using technologies to do the things that they want to do. And specifically, I was looking at how ISIS was using lots of flashy films, etc., to recruit and trying to make counter-narrative stuff for that. After doing this stuff to do with ISIS, I kind of just left the area for a little while because there were a lot of problems in the way that things were being approached. For one thing, the far right was not being addressed at all, and pretty much everyone I was working with knew that was a bit of a problem, but it just wasn't a government priority at the time. Cut to now. So this was about the time that Blair Cottrell was getting pretty much as close to popular acceptance as you would ever get with that famed Sky News interview. And we're all looking at this saying, well, yeah, there's some kids that are being coaxed into Syria and stuff, but we've got things going on that are going to kind of really blow out of proportion. We knew what was going on with Blair Cottrell. We knew what was going on with Tom Sewell, and we know where that's led now. And to me, I see a little bit of a parallel between what we saw with Reclaim Australia and what we might be seeing with the kind of conspiracy communities now where you have a movement that kind of wants to kind of shape itself as populist and then all kind of dies down a little bit and you have these fascist actors looking to really get in there and recruit and kind of take those same impulses in a worrying direction. Um, Jared, without wanting to provide any, I guess, tips to those concerned, what do you think are the, have been the strengths and the weaknesses of the far right's attempts to 
uh, capitalise upon anti-vaccination and anti-lockdown sentiment? Quite frankly, I think they're worryingly good at it in a way. I mean, there's, it, it's always going to be a fairly small, small cohort of people who are interested in going that extra step. I think we probably would have found that with Reclaim Australia and we're already seeing like a lot of conspiracists kind of trickle off with there's not as much going on there as there was, but there's quite a few parallels that fascist philosophy and the philosophy of, if you could call it a philosophy, the milieu, I guess, of the conspiracist movements that we're seeing have a lot of crossover. There were four themes that I found in my research on how the fascists were reaching out to conspiracists on Telegram. The first one is pretty simple conspiracy stuff because COVID-19 as a conspiracy is not just the realm of the lockdown people. Thomas Sewell and Jazz Searby are pretty convinced, at least publicly, about COVID-19 being some kind of conspiracy. I think Thomas Sewell has been talking about how it's to sterilize white people. I don't know if he still thinks that. It might have just been him kind of having a little bit of a train of thought on the internet. But so you can get into that. I mean, Nazism is it's a conspiracist ideology to begin with. But there's also a lot of these undercurrents of we're talking about a corrupt society, which is like a mainstay of fascist thought, but also of a lot of this conspiracist thought. We've seen now that the movement's kind of been paired back to its more radical core. We're not getting thousands of people rallying against the lockdowns we've just got a handful of people making shelters out of glad wrap that there are a lot of kind of ideas around oh well society's degenerated a lot of anti-trans homophobic stuff coming out so this idea that society is corrupt is is, is really in there and is going to resonate and of course in terms of getting anyone or botching europa or anything like that do your own research means that anything that is not a mainstream source of information is tantalizing and you can you can it's not hard to get these guys to watch i don't know triumph of the wheels a bit old but europa would be a good one qanon stuff i feel like we're going to see a little bit of a resurgence of qanon in the conspiracist conspiracist community it's just a feeling in my waters i guess because there's a lot less going on in terms of actual government actions against COVID-19. Maybe there should be more as it's picking up again. There is one that really worries me, and that is state persecution. When the lockdown protesters were getting cracked down on hard because they were spreading COVID everywhere, there was a lot of talk about how they were being persecuted by the state. And they also just fashioned themselves as freedom fighters. Funnily enough, who is a big freedom fighter these days, at least in his own mind, that would be Thomas Sewell and the National Socialist Network. It. I remember reading a lot about Benjamin Raymond, the leader of National Action, deciding that he was a CVE expert and talking a lot about all that was wrong with CVE. And we get a lot of the, the same type of stuff coming out of National Socialist Network now about how the state is trampling on freedoms, the beast system, 
doesn't want people, um, peaceful activists to just be able to go about their business is kind of genius because it's true in a lot of cases, but we're also talking about Nazis. They don't actually believe in freedom of speech. They don't actually believe in freedom for anything but a select few people, and even then it is a freedom that can be taken away if you don't act in a certain way and subscribe to a certain belief system. But they're freedom fighters now just like conspiracist groups are freedom fighters, and they're really going strong with this kind of discourse and it they seem pretty committed to it and I think there will be some people that it will resonate with. Around the time of the Australian election, I saw talk on Kate Callan's Telegram group. Um, Kate Callan is a member of Project Phoenix, which may well now be defunct. They thought COVID-19 was a globalist communist scam. She has some pretty deep Nazi ties and they're talking about well, of course, there was never going to be election success for anti-lockdown candidates, for freedom candidates. Um, we shall just write in Tom, Thomas Sewell. So, Speaking of uh, freedom fighters, one of the groups you examined were the peacemakers, who to me seem like they fit into the Christo-fascist mould that uh, we've been seeing become popular around the place lately. What do you think a group like that, which was sort of set up explicitly to you know, provide security euphemistically at anti-lockdown protests, where does a group like that go now that the lockdowns are over? I don't know. For one thing, behind a paywall, if you want to see any of their chats, I was really tempted to pay the money, but then they wanted all my information as well. And I was like, well, this isn't going to work. I'm not committed enough to get in on that, but I really want to know what they're doing now. When I was looking at my piece on fascist cross-pollination of these groups, I used a whole bunch of keywords to see where discussions were had around, say, Jews, say, around nationalism, anything that might be kind of ways to weasel fascist talking points into conspiracist groups. And I saw a great one in, you know, great in a certain sense, in Australian Peacemakers Group, which is Hadrian killed more Jews than Hitler. This is how God judges a nation. So Christo-fascist, I think, would be a pretty good descriptor of them, yes. Uh, speaking of QAnon, that you mentioned earlier, uh, Q recently made a, a return to the airwaves uh, with a couple of pronouncements. Have you seen much about how that went down? It seemed to me like uh, maybe people weren't going for it. it. I have not been back in a week or so, but... Q QAnon and Telegram and the small curated group of Twitter accounts from Australia that follow Q didn't seem that interested. I don't know if they were sceptical. They just didn't seem that interested. And I've found that in recent times, QAnon's just been really quite an umbrella kind of signifier for general conspiracy thinking in Australia. I don't know if you would disagree on that, but that's that's what I see in a lot of places where there'll be a little bit of reposting Australian Q, um, American Q stuff. But back in the early days, there was a lot more trying to weave an Australian QAnon narrative. Now it seems a little bit more open slather. Mm. Yeah, I have, I have gotten that impression as well. <laughs> no more kangaroos in the underground bunkers. That I mean... I don't know why the Bill Heffernan stuff didn't take off more. 
they tried. They tried to get the whole Bill Heffernan had the 21 names. They really tried to get that up and it seems like it's really made for it and it comes up every now and then, but people just, they, they don't want to, they just want to post memes mostly about Trump. It's a bit disappointing, guys. Did you see the hip-hop video that came out this week? You might, you might have missed this one. Yeah, no, I have missed that one. <laughs> oh, they've, uh, some uh, hip-hop troop has released a video. Uh, I think it's um, Drop Your, Drop Your Plates to release the 28. The, everyone get rid of your rego, and also we need to wow. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. expose the 28. Can we play a sample of it? Uh, banger, Cam? Uh, or will we get into trouble? Uh, no, I think we can play just a small sample. Okay. But people shouldn't be so inspired as to take the license plates off their cars. No, no, of course not. You gotta do what he say, just cause he said so. Expose the pedo, don't pay your red joke. Yeah, this is our key to freedom. Expose the 28, expose the demon. And these plates, we don't even need them. We're sorry he was never seen it. You've made reference, we've, we've spoken about the Australian peacemakers and that group seemingly going into retreat or at least withdrawing a little from the public gaze, I wonder if that's got to do with criminal prosecutions that are taking place. And I'm aware of the fact that uh, various members of the NSN are also facing uh, legal challenges. What do you think has been the impact of, I guess, state repression of, on the one hand, you know, members, leading members of the anti-lockdown movement and also the NSN and related groups? I think it's really a double-edged sword. I think there's always going to be pros and cons to that kind of action. And the obvious advantage of that is that you try and stop the growth of a movement. It's like getting QAnon off the mainstream platforms as much as possible, getting Nazis off the mainstream platforms as much as possible. You do hamper growth and that, I mean, it's pretty essential to hamper the growth of movements like that. On the other hand, you also feed into the victim narrative. And to me, it's a little bit like we're very much in the in the age of stochastic terrorism and soul actor, lone wolf terrorism. I don't like those names because I don't think they're very accurate. But the age where the person who's going to go out and shoot a place up or something like that is not going to be a card-carrying member. I actually believe Thomas Sewell to a certain degree when he talks about how they don't want to go out there and break the law and do violence because it's not in their interest right now. What they are doing, though, is they're creating an environment where that may well happen anyway and it may be someone with a very deniable link to the organisation who's maybe just been watching his rants on YouTube or wherever he manages to host them now. I I don't know if he's still on Odyssey, but I kind of feel like that's that's where things like that are going. And I think it's probably going to be the same with conspiracists, all the grifters, all the big names, even the more radical ones. I don't think they're going to hurt anyone. They're just going to cause other people to hurt someone. And that's going to be completely deniable because that's the nature of that kind of event. Yeah, so this is another thing. I, stochastic terrorism is an idea that the time has really come. And I think after a few shootings, most re- recently in the US, like the Buffalo shooting and, I mean, all the great replacement theory inspired shootings before that, uh, take your pick at how many I wouldn't even know. It's really something that's starting to become more of a household name and it's going to have to be. 
Uh, we've seen people being kicked off the mainstream social platforms, whether they're part of that neo-Nazi milieu or they're part of you know this new conspiratorial movement. And we find them coalescing on platforms like Telegram where there's no moderation, but there's also none of those things that are sort of potentially pulling people back out of these movements uh, so that there's no institutional intervention happening on Telegram, for example. Should there be? And if there was, what could it look like? Oh, God, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it's really what we're struggling with, isn't it? I I think there's going to have to be in the next however long a lot of public awareness of how individuals are going to be able to have to support support individuals in their lives to get out of this stuff i was actually in preparation for talking to you guys listening to a previous interview you had with Shannon Foley Martinez and talking about how she got out when she started getting interested in other things in her life and having other things in her life. And I think keeping those lifelines open is something you hear again and again as being really important. Exactly how to do that, I don't know. Exactly how to support people to do that when people they know are going down rabbit holes and becoming more and more difficult to to have anything to do with, that is something we're really going to have to grapple with as a society. Oh, we'll let you off solving the whole problem on on our show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, come back at me. Give me give me forty five minutes. I'll, I'll have dinner and then I'll have something for you. We'll we'll sort it out. Um, it's it's not um, a stochastic terrorism, Gerard. But um, last year we witnessed an attack upon the CFMEU offices in Melbourne. That was by a fairly large and determined crowd. And beyond that, we've seen all sorts of convoys and gatherings, which appear to have been dissipating somewhat. Given that Victoria has a state election in a few months, do you think that it's a good thing or a healthy thing? Or what do you think about the fact that anti-vaxxers will be going to the polls? And I, I mean, I expect the results to be fairly poor, but you know, perhaps they'll succeed. What do you think are the kinds of, uh, I know you've, you've also made reference in, in particular in one of your writings on the NSN and, it's, and others who um, have embraced the notion that there's no political solution. So um, I take note of that because running in an election is a, is a kind of political solution. We have one soon. Uh, what do you expect to see happen and what do you think the fallout might be? I think, like you, that they're going to do badly because... While the anti-lockdown movement likes to think of itself as a movement for the people, it is not that popular. And we saw that in the federal election. It is a nail-biting time after that because after the federal election, we saw a great deal of despair and catastrophization from people in the anti-lockdown, conspiracist movements, and violent rhetoric really ramping up. Violent rhetoric, they're no strangers to it anyway, but a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of fuck it, we're going to do whatever we can, got to go out there, bash some heads, etc. It didn't eventuate to anything as far as I'm aware yet in terms of actual violence, but that kind of desensitization is really where actual violence comes from, where it becomes so commonplace to talk like that, like these are actual, actual things that are on the table. In terms of there is no political solution, absolutely. We were, I was seeing 
conspiracists, especially those with QAnon leanings, saying exactly there is no political solution. That accelerationist slogan was like really out there. The, the, the saying, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times, hard times create strong men. I had always thought that was actually a fascist saying because it's so often used by fascists. Turns out nobody really knows where it started, or at least I don't, and I think nobody does. But it is commonly associated and used by fascists and neo-Nazis because of their preoccupation with strength and esoteric Nazism's view of history as cyclical. So that was just a little bit of an insight into where where are these guys getting these exact phrases from, like the exposures there. And I wonder if it isn't a very great recruiting time for fascists to kind of get people to just take that step when they've got this disillusionment with the idea that their cause is popular or is going to have political success. Joining with uh, the far right and, and otherwise uh, ordinary upright citizens, uh, there's uh, been a, a good deal of participation in the anti-lockdown movement by people situated within the wellness industry and um, practising alternative forms of health, uh, health practices. Have you had an opportunity to look at, you know, wellness, uh, the wellness industry and its participation uh, at all? And one of the reasons I ask is because I was um, um, also in preparation uh, for this interview looking at Pete Evans, uh, rediscovering his uh, genius. And I found that on Telegram, which is, again, um, you know, unregulated and uh, free-for-all, it seems to be the case that over time he's increasingly begun to accept some of the core doctrines associated with uh, fascist thought, not only in terms of, you know, this or that symbol, but um, some of the core concepts. And I've always thought of him as being a kind of of concern because he's in a situation where he has a following that's not derived from his political beliefs, but he's, you know, TV fame and, and, and you know, uh, status as a celebrity chef. And he's able to provide a kind of form of this ideology that's more acceptable to a wider group of people. So in terms of invoking freedom or, I mean, maybe... Uh, no, but a little solution is a bit grim, but there are other slogans and concepts and ideas that are floating around which are attracting people and being used to attract people to this movement. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm struggling to uh, derive a question from this <laughs> other than um, have you had a look at these wellness figures and what do you make of them? I have observed it from a distance. I've been interested to see that the NSN, who are, of, of course, not the be-all and end-all of Nazism in Australia, but they are pretty much the strongest and only well-known force in Nazism in Australia at the moment, haven't really been leaning into this much themselves. I don't think it really plays into their wheelhouse, their kind of street tough guy image more than any kind of eco stuff or wellness stuff. But I do know that there's been kind of this whole idea of do your own research and alternative sources of information. Europa, um, Dave O'Neig's, I think is a bit of a pusher of Europa. I would not be surprised to see a character like Pete Evans leaning more into this stuff, especially now that all us woke moralists have kind of cost him so much by being a little bit upset that he was posting Nazi propaganda, snowflakes that we are and all. 
Gerard, you, you began your, I think your academic research, you said, looking at the Shack Dwellers movement in um, South Africa and how it employed social media. And I wouldn't describe that as being a, a right-wing um, movement or association. And yet it appears to be the case that in terms of the concerns that are being expressed about social media and propaganda and so on, whether it's you know in relation to the pandemic or a whole, ra- whole range of other uh, crises, the right seems to be, or this might be implied, seems to be particularly adept at employing this technology to its benefit. I'm wondering if you have any ideas about how the left loosely speaking or broadly speaking, has failed uh, and what it could learn from the right, let's say, in terms of effectively uh, utilising these new technologies to, I guess, produce propaganda, to to make a case, to to build a social movement. When I looked at the shack dwellers, my question at the time is what can we say about how technology, how information and communication technologies can help activism Because when I was doing that, it was kind of a day when a lot of things were being said about it that were fairly utopian. Oh, my God, it's going to save us. Oh, my God, it's going to doom us, all that type of thing. And I wanted to see how we could put a little bit more nuance back in that. And I came to the work of a communication theorist called Jotaki, who was looking at this idea called communicative ecologies, which is you look at the technology itself, as in the technological artifact, the internet, the smartphone in the case of the shack dwellers, because smartphones was where a lot of it was happening. But you also have to look at the interplay of that with social relations and with ideology. So I think understanding more what technology can do for you in terms of what you are trying to achieve and how you can leverage what you've got going on anyway is really something that needs to be looked into more. And I, I think the NSN are actually all right at this because they do a lot of stuff offline and they use it for propaganda in a way that a lot of things that Nazi groups could do could be done without the internet. I mean, here anyway. There's a, there are a lot more tech-savvy Nazi groups than the NSN. They basically use it to reel people in and then, as far as I can tell, go IRL for all the stuff we don't know about, all the troubling stuff. Well, that's all we've got time for. Drud, thanks so much for joining us. If people want to follow you on Twitter, you are at G underscore A underscore Gil. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. Uh, Well, that's our show, Andy. We'll be back next week. Catch you later. See you then.
online and in cinema. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival will be running online from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 31st of July. Canvassing the world's best docos from South by Southwest, Tribeca and Hot Docs, as well as the best Australian content. Check out the lineup and book today at mdff.org.au or cinemanova.com.au. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter.